And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. We live in a world of a million decisions. And uh, obviously, some of those are really important and others not so important. And as I think about trying to have the biggest impact on uh, an individual investor, uh, I, I ask myself, what, what is that range of decisions they have to make? Uh, how much time and effort uh, and an emotional appeal do I have to make in order to get somebody to make at least what I think is the best decision? Some of them are so easy. I mean, stocks versus bonds, uh, mutual funds versus individual stocks, load versus no load, high expenses versus low expenses. The list is pretty obvious. And uh, even in the boot camp series that we did where we we, we zeroed in on eight decisions that are more complex, more nuanced, like uh, what equity asset classes are you going to own in your portfolio, how much of each equity asset class, the decisions about how much and how we take money out of our investments to live on, even the question, decision of how much do we need uh, in order to retire. But there are so many decisions. But I decided to go on the quest for the biggest, the most important decision that we make. And uh, I, I did this years ago. And at that point, I decided that the decision was going to be the one most important was going to be uh, who we decide to trust, our source of information that we use as an investor. And that is obviously a really big one because if you choose the wrong one, uh, you got problems, potentially problems for a lifetime. So I sat down one more time, uh, even with the help of chat GPT, to figure out what is the most important decision. Now, when you ask ChatGPT, uh, and by the way, if I do a similar search on the internet, it will not surprise you, the answer comes up about the same. And what they basically conclude is the number one investment decision uh, is your asset allocation. And um, when you see a lot of the information about investing, it's no wonder that they, that, that, that they may conclude that. For example, uh, according to Roger Ibbotson, uh, and uh, he is the one responsible for a very famous book of numbers uh, in the uh, industry, the the financial industry, the stocks, bonds, bills, and inflation, a study that shows year-by-year -year returns of these different asset classes going back to the 20s. But he says, on average, 90% of the variability of returns 
and 100% of the absolute level of return is explained by asset allocation. And by the way, he is a Professor Emeritus of Finance at the Yale School of Management. Smart guy, you know, but what, what according to to uh, the, the people at GPT, ah, the people, you hear that? According to GPT, chat GPT, uh, they say the number one decision is asset allocation agreement. They go on to say determining the appropriate allocation of your investments across different asset classes. For example, stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, based on your risk tolerance, time horizon, and financial goals. That's it. That's number one. Now, I just wanted to get a little broader feeling, so I asked for the top ten. And again, I got asset allocation. It was consistent. But then investment diversification, by the way. That diversification is considered by many to be the only free lunch uh, in the investment process. In other words, a thousand companies are expected to have the same return as one, but that one is at high risk of of complete loss, as a matter of fact, uh, whereas that is virtually impossible for the broadly diversified portfolio. So you've got asset allocation, diversification, and then your investment strategy, then your stock selection, then your bond selection, then risk management strategies, then regular monitoring, then controlling the expenses of investing, then tax efficiency is number nine, and finally, number 10, emotional discipline. And and in fact, uh, a number of the experts, including John Bogle uh, and Warren Buffett, believe that that our emotions and expenses are the the two biggest items that we should try to control. Well, I I disagree. I've concluded as I think about this that those are not the most important decisions. All important. But there is one decision that I think in and of itself is an absolute life changer. That that decision to go one way or the other could literally be, you could end up with 10 times as much money if you went one direction and you could end up with a little bit of money uh, if you go another direction. So here's what I think it is. I think the biggest financial decision we make in terms of investing, it's a fork in the road. Every investor must face it. And that is, should I be a do-it-yourself investor or should I hire a professional. If you are a real do-it-yourself investor, you have to make the decision how much to save, 
or whether even to save at all. And if you save, how to save? Individual stocks, mutual funds, no load, load, all of those decisions. And there are literally uh, hundreds of them to be made along the way. And the question is, how much does that do-it-yourself investor have to know? Well, here's the fascinating thing. When you decide to be a do-it-yourself investor, you could virtually make one decision and be taken care of for the rest of your life. Now, what that means is, as a do-it-yourself investor, you could take the position that I want to invest my money in a target date fund. And once you do that, your work is done. You just sit there for the rest of your life in a mutual fund that is built to be to look like kind of the average holdings that a person t- should take over a lifetime. So if you're 21, uh, the people who manage the target date fund, they do it all for you. So in reality, when you, as a do-it-yourselfer, decide to put your money into a target date fund, you have, in essence, just turned it over to the lowest cost professional advisor that I know. Because I don't know any professional advisors who will manage a portfolio for under one-tenth of one percent, which is what they charge you to manage a Vanguard target date fund. And I think it really begs the question, uh, is that Uh, do-it-yourself investing, or is it actually just getting a very, very low-cost approach to massive diversification uh, through a target date fund? Now, here's the challenge of being a do-it-yourselfer. That is that you become the advisor to yourself. And As I think about that, it means that you're going to have to accumulate, you're going to have to get the education to make a whole bunch of decisions that you would get if you went to an investment advisor. Now, you can be a a relatively low-level do-it-yourselfer by going to an hourly advisor who tells you exactly what to do and then you're expected to do it. Now, that's kind of a combination, but at the end of the day, you got your education from that advisor. You you didn't go to school uh, to, to get a CFP or a Chartered Financial Analyst designation. No, you went to a teacher who charged you 300 bucks an hour to get the education specifically for your needs. And that is an interesting approach to becoming a do-it-yourselfer. Every first-time investment advisor that goes to work 
for a Schwab or a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a Merriman Wealth Management. They all start out like, in essence, the raw do-it-yourselfer. Now, many of them have a degree in economics or finance or they've done something to prepare for, for becoming an investment advisor. But I can tell you this, that if you ask those of us who've been around for a long time, should I turn my portfolio to somebody who's a young advisor, who's just getting started to give me advice, or should I go to somebody who's been around and been through the ropes, got some, the, the, not only all of the formal education, but then there's the old school of hard knocks, because I promise you, anybody in this industry uh, has learned stuff way beyond the textbooks and probably cost their clients some money. So, do you want to be at the, uh, at the whim of an advisor who's just getting started and really doesn't have any experience? And we know what your parents say about that. Oh, that's good for young people to learn the hard way, the to, to, to experience it and, and, and learn the lessons that will help them get it straight later on in life when they've been through the mistakes. Well, of course, anybody in this industry would say, you're better off learning from those mistakes of others than from your own mistakes because most of the time you may identify a mistake that you've made by the fact that it didn't work out, but you may not really have a clue as to why it worked out, or, or it could just be that the reason it didn't work out had very little to do with all the things that you knew. And the part that's so tricky uh, for the do-it-yourself investor, and by the way, not so easy for the professional advisor who's trying to help, and that is that so many of the things that go wrong are emotional mistakes. And the part that is tricky about that is that even a knowledgeable person about investing passed the test, all got a high score when he took his Series 7 test and the investment advisory test, just had, had a great score proud of themselves for having gotten anything over 90 on those tests because they can be hard. But those aren't the tests that, that, that really have to do with the biases that people come to the table with as investors and as advisors. You know, you could end up with an advisor that you don't know it, but he or she has very high risk tolerance. They might believe that it's okay for you to take high risk because that's the way you're going to make the most money. It's one of the reasons I've never been a big fan of the Fisher organization. They see all investors through their eyes as to how much risk they should take. It just doesn't work that way. Because when we get beyond that risk tolerance, we just, 
we just have to shoot the messenger, get out and move on and look for a new way. And by the way, I have seen people look for a new way over and over again, literally spend their lifetime trying to find a way to invest that gives them both the return and the, and the, and the comfort that they need. Because they're, they're, they're fighting with the emotional aspects of the investment process. And you as a do-it-yourself investor, taking care of the, the, the family's financial future, these are all things that you need to conquer. And it is an interesting challenge as a do-it-yourself investor. I've thought, what could I do? What could I suggest you do to be a better do-it-yourself investor? To reach the peace of mind that, uh, that would allow you to stay the course because I think we're all in agreement. If you've got a decent strategy, as nobody knows the future, there are hundreds or thousands of decent strategies. If you have a decent strategy, then the key is to stay the course and stay the course for a very long period of time. So what could we do? Well, how about if we made a, a list, a list of all of the risks that we know that we're going to have as an investor and decide which ones we can manage and which ones we can't. So, for example, you would probably have the risk, uh, if you had money in the stock market, you might see a risk being, I will lose all of my money. And I am not, all, I'm not willing to lose all of my money. Even if I'm a young investor, I don't want to lose all of my money. So the question is, if that is a legitimate risk, is there any way to manage it? Because you as a do-it-yourself investor, you, you must know what that is. And you do know what it is, and that's diversification. And so you move that risk from the column of unmanaged to managed. And you do that with every fork in the road that you come to. We try to create all those forks in the road in our free book, 101 Investment Decisions Guaranteed to Change Your Financial Future. There, there are, I can't say every risk that, that you're going to face is in there, but I can tell you that most of them are. And the idea is to look at each one of those, those, those forks in the road and figure out how do you manage whatever the risk of that fork might be? So yes, many stocks. Now, for a lot of people who have discovered our work, they didn't realize that there's also a risk that even if you have many stocks and all those stocks are large cap growth stocks, that it is possible that you could have those all go down and all go down as a group 
To which you say, no, I don't want to be in something that could go down 80%. And if you had one stock, we'd know that it could go down 100%. Great companies sometimes go down 100%. Sometimes it takes a long time for something to happen to have that be the outcome, but that is what often happens. Or if not totally out of business, to give you a return that would be no better than having your money in the T-bills. The the no-risk investments other than, of course, uh, inflation. So what did you learn? You learned that the way you're going to manage that risk of a particular asset class being really bad for a long time is either one, to accept that and just stay the course, or two, to put in other asset classes that have a history of going down, but maybe not as far or not at the same time. I mean, for example, the the, the, the NASDAQ in the, in the uh, early 2002 bear market, it lost 80% of its value as an index, but the S&P 500 was only down 50. And the small cap value, in some cases, they, they were actually up during that period of time. So what you may have learned is that you have this risk that can be managed. I mean, this is the this is the kind of the requirement of the do-it-yourself investor who really wants to be prudent. You want to do the right thing. And the way to do the right thing is, one, identify all of the risks and find out how each one can be managed. And you don't have to go to an hourly advisor to tell you how to manage them. You certainly don't need to go to somebody who charges you 1% a year. If you look at that list, I'll bet you you could go to a Larry Swedro book. I'll bet you could go to the website The Balance. I'll bet you you could go watch uh, videos by Ben Felix. I think if you went to our truth tellers on our website and you and you said, how do I manage market risk? Then you'd find people who don't charge you anything by the hour. Then they may ask you to buy a book. Larry Swedrow asks you to buy a book. And then, believe it or not, from everything I've heard, and I've heard his own personal commitment to this, he says, if you got a question, email me. And everybody that I know that has emailed him has gotten a response. Unless for some reason it's inappropriate for him to respond. So that, I think, is the very best protection the do-it-yourself investor has. And that is... Make the list of all of the risks. Now, I just took a break. 
I just took a break and I went over just for fun to ask ChatGPT, can you please make a list of the 30 biggest risks of investing? I didn't have to do uh, a search uh, on the internet. I had to wait for about, oh, 15 seconds, and it started to spit out the list. And by the time it was done, maybe it took 45 seconds, and I had a list of 30. Now, I only asked for 30. I, I could ask for 50, and, and, it, and, it, and it might give me 50. I don't know, but I started with 30. And so it's not like it's going to be difficult for you to come up with this list. And, and once you've made that list, I, I would hope that not only would you find the way to manage each one of those risks, but that, that, that you would write down the answer or cut and paste or print out the list of the 30, and then, one at a time, put it in chat GPT, how do I manage the risk of the market? How do I manage tax risk? How do I manage currency risk? I mean, this, this is not complex. And by the way, if you come up with a risk that they don't know the answer, would you do me a favor? Paul at paulmerriman.com and, and, and let me know what it is. Now, there are some specific risks that are, are legitimate that may be hard to find that answer. For example, uh, how do I protect myself from the risk of my spouse being mad at me because the, the value of our portfolio went down. Now, I'm hoping that what you'll find is the answer is to educate them to understand the same things that you do and to show them enough history in return. You know, one of the risks that you take is that you are suckered into a sales pitch that shows the returns of the last five years or, or 30 days. And so that, that, that is a legitimate thing could happen to you. And how do you manage that risk of being suckered? And you manage that by finding out how much return, what period of time do I need to get a, a legitimate sense of the risk that I have in my investments? And I would have to say, if you can't look at at least two bear markets, at least go back long enough to see two bear markets, let's say, how about two times that the market went down over 50%. Let's, let's start with that. 
Because then if you looked at the S&P 500, well, you would see that, yes, it happened in 2000 through 2002, and it happened during the 2007 through 2009, and it happened in the 1973-74 time period. Then you and your spouse will both know that owning the S&P 500 has built into it a risk of losing 50%. And if, for example, and I'm just going to take a little break here, I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. I just wanted to take a break and go to ChatGPT and ask it for a list of 30 public companies that have gone bankrupt. And I had to wait maybe 10 to 15 seconds for it to print out the list. So I know as I look at that list, I know these companies. I mean, Lehman Brothers right at the top. General Motors towards the top. Airline companies. Banks. Uh, You know, this... I could have asked for a list of 100. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to ask for a list of 500. I'm not going to keep you waiting here while I get that list, but I'm going to do it when I get off this podcast because I guess it, it will take a few minutes for it to print that out. But it's in there. And, and, and if all those companies have gone bankrupt, it means that there's a risk there that I want to make sure I I protect myself against. I once knew a man and his family, not because, and I've talked about this before, not because they all agreed with him, but because he just took control. And while he was basically in retirement, he turned everything he had in terms of investments into cash and took that money and bought stock in a company called AM International. His kids, Iris, his wife's Iris, his profit share, everything he had. American International is a company that had been in bankruptcy before, and he knew that it was going to be okay as they came out of bankruptcy, but it, it weren't okay. They ended up going back into bankruptcy, and he lost everything for the whole family. Now, is he uh, a gambler? Is, is, is he an addict? And, uh, or is he a person who is just hoping to hit a home run that will make him famous? Maybe only amongst his friends, but famous because he was the man in his 60s who cashed it all in and took the risk of a lifetime. And now he's worth tens of millions of dollars. No, he's broke. And here's the part that I like so much. And that is that the rules, the regulations, the cost, the tax implications, the diversification, the, the, the information, everything is built to be in your best interest. Never has there been been a time in history when you could, in fact, get 
professional investment diversification as close to free as it comes. You still, of course, have the worst, the risk of the stock market. But when you made your list and when you, you asked yourself, how do I manage the risk of the market going down 50% or 80% or whatever that amount is, you went to chat GPT, in fact, just a second. Yep, just as I thought. It suggested that I put part of the portfolio in something other than stocks. By the way, it, it suggested cash. It suggested bonds. And it suggested real estate. And honestly, when I think about diversification uh, as an investor, because, I, yes, we own a place to live, but we don't invest in real estate. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I do invest in real estate. We do. We have REITs in our portfolio. I forgot about that. But I've never gone out and invested in a rental unit myself. But some people do. And that is a way not to lose everything. Oh, by the way, uh, having real estate as an investment, and if you put nothing down or 10% down uh, and, and a long time to pay, there's the risk that the value will go down and you won't be able to make the payments and you'll lose everything. You know, you know how to manage that because you put it on your list. And the way you managed it was, well, number one, you put down 50% instead of 10%. And you priced it so that it was very competitive. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you can do. In every case, somebody puts a card that says risk on the table. You have a card that explains how to manage that risk. Sounds like a card game I should create, huh? And I think it's worth mentioning that as a do-it-yourself investor, if you're going to take the time to learn what you need to learn, I will tell you that for most of us who became professional investment advisors, while we might not have had 10,000 hours of education, I would say it's fair to say I had a thousand hours of education. In fact, when I was uh, a stockbroker back in the 60s, uh, I had to, uh, before I went to school back in New York, uh, to the New York Institute of Finance, uh, uh, I had six, month, uh, six months of study uh, in Seattle uh, and working uh, for the company. They they were not allowing me to give people advice, but I was learning how the industry works. And, uh, and, 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 and so the challenge, I think, for the do-it-yourself person is you don't have somebody who's making you come into the office or making you study and then you take tests. I know a lot of people uh, that have taken the CFP exam and gone through that process. And their only reason for doing it was to help the family. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do in retirement? To get an education so that, yeah, you could, in fact, 
uh, give advice to others, and the price would be fair, nothing. And in fact, there's other things you can get for nothing. As you know, you can get We're Talking Millions for nothing. It's free as a PDF download at paulmerriman.com. You can do the same with uh, Two Funds for Life from Chris Pedersen. You can do the same with 101 Investment Decisions Guaranteed to Change Your Financial Future. The same with Get Smarter, Get Screwed, how to, get the, how to select the best and get the most out of your investment advisor. And by the way, when you are your investment advisor, you still, you got to get the most out of you. Oh, yeah, and another book that's free from, uh, from William Bernstein, Bill Bernstein. It's called If You Can, If You Can. Uh, you can go to his website. We'll have a link to that in our, our notes, uh, the link to, uh, uh, to his free book. And, um, uh, and, and that's the goal of our organization. We are trying to turn you into really competent do-it-yourself investors. But understand, we are not estate planners. We are not certified financial planners. We are not chartered financial analysts. We are focusing just as you can be a really powerful expert on asset allocation, so can we. You do not have to have a college degree to understand asset allocation. And fortunately, it is possible to, to, to look at past results of different asset classes in our case, we look back to 1928, and we give you that information uh, in the tables that we have. Not every table goes back to 1928. Many of our tables go back to 1970, but others go back to 1928. And that does not include everything that will happen in the future because it does not include everything that happened in the past. And before I end, I will make one other promise. I will put the uh, URL for chat GPT so you too, anybody can do this. I'm telling you, it is great fun. Uh, I have a friend who just had an important birthday. I know he likes to drink wine. I know he lives in Hawaii on the beach. I know a little something about his wife. I know uh, what he thinks is funny. So just for fun, I asked ChatGPT to put together a, a, a birthday letter to my friend. And uh, I don't know if he got a kick out of it, but I'll tell you that I did. And I found out you, you can ask it. You can ask it to, to write it in a more casual uh, tone or whatever that was word would be. I mean, it is really fun uh, to play with. And I am finding that it is a really efficient way uh, to, to do some, uh, some internet searching because it, uh, can, you can be very, very specific. And I will tell you, uh, I'm sure there are better answers. Uh, oftentimes the answers are are very general, and they need more specifics. 
But I find when you start asking it more specifics, it will, in fact, dig deeper. So uh, anyway, I hope, I hope you understand why I think this decision to be a do-it-yourselfer or to, to depend on professionals is such a big deal. And boy, if you're not willing to put in the effort to be an educated do-it-yourselfer, I really hope you will take a close look at the uh, uh, target date funds. And then, if that's of interest to you, I hope you'll consider taking a look at both Chris's book, Two Funds for Life, and the book that uh, Rich Buck and I wrote, We're Talking Millions, because both of those books uh, address, as, as in my case, just a part of our book, but it's about half of the book, uh, the combination of a target date fund and some small cap value. And I think for many people who want to turn this over to some somebody else to do it, but you want it to be relatively conservative, you want to understand what's going on, you don't want somebody... Um, just going off on a tangent or, or the boss said you got to sell this stuff to your clients so get out there and sell it know that your money's being managed in a way that is uh, in tune with what you not only understand but uh, about the process but also what your risk tolerance is and before I uh, close today I want to thank all of you, I mean, there's so many of you who responded and sent me financial quotes, investing quotes and the like that you share with others as a way uh, uh, you hope to teach, whether it's children or friends or whatever. But I really have appreciated that as I, you may not all know this, but I'm working on some lists uh, for October when uh, I will be uh, turning 80, and so I'm working on a whole bunch of lists of 80 things. Got a little help from GPT, by the way. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so thank you for that. And by the way, also thank you for those of you who have donated uh, to the cause. I promise every dollar, not one dollar, goes in my pocket not one dollar goes in Chris Pedersen's or Dell Ball's. Yes, a few dollars go to Margie and 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 to Renee and the few people who who do all the stuff in the hard work and maintaining our website and and whatnot. And of course, we also are uh, helping the people at Western Washington University uh, teach students up there. Uh, to 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 be financially literate as they uh, come out of college. So there you go. Thank you always, and pass it on if you know somebody you think this might help. And uh, if you got an idea for a topic, you know where I am, Paul at paulmerriman.com. I hope you and your family have an absolutely wonderful summer. That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com, and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.